0: Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Dotus Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account That's DonorStrust.org slash news.
1: Hello and welcome to our listeners of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. This is our Friday News Roundup. So we've got quite a few things. We are recording a week ahead of time, and but we will be looking at the Ukrainian... I always want to call it the Ukrainian War, the war in Ukraine, the possible third party, the possibilities of a third party in our twenty twenty four election and um a little bit maybe about Biden internationally. So stay with us, and we will be right back. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the u s. economy in twenty twenty two Welcome back. You can find Victor at his website Victorhansen.com. The site is called Blade of Perseus. Uh, you can join us for five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year or you can get a free subscription and get on our list and then get just mailings of what's new on the website and there's plenty on the website all week long. So please come join us and subscribe. Victor, how are you doing today?
2: well it's going to be 112 supposedly in the San Joaquin Valley.
1: Mm, Death so, Valley I hear might be up to 131.
2: Yeah. And uh, I've been driving a lot. I uh, had been driving I'm been reexamining California's road system so I can't talk because this is supposed to be the upbeat moment. But I-5 has turned into the 99 or the 101 at least from Pacheco Pass. Latitude all the way down to Kalinga. So anyway, uh, I'm pretty good. I've been, let me see, what did I do today? I sprayed the cancer-causing Roundup on weeds around the buildings on the farm.
1: Let's hope you don't
2: have a cancer. And I used my old permit of a cyanide capsules for ground squirrels. So I went through all the buildings. And found all of their subterranean rules of interest and put the pellets in and closed it and got a little whiff of it. So that's kind of weird. And what else did I do? I've been doing a little puttering around the farm and I wrote yeah. some ultras today. I got a good, I think we'll have one's once called the Mystic Chords of Memory. It's about when you get to a certain age, you look back at things that you thought at the time were catastrophic or, or, or full of despair and you look at the solidarity of the people working with you to overcome them and that reminded me of a line that i've quoted a lot it's been with me my whole life it's from uh the aeneid book Two. um i think it's line 203 or something and it, when aeneas tells his almost drowned sailor the trojans that are escaping and they've had all these shipwrecks he says you know, basically saying, "Sure, there will come a there will come a time when the memory of even this will bring you delight."
1: Uh, so that's that. a great quote. It that's is. a nice,
2: one. I quoted thing. it in Fields of Dream. one of those quotes. You know, you you pick up at, in your early twenties, mm-hmm. and you kind of keep keeps with you. Yes, Nises and Euryalus that in the funeral games, then. They ask him why he thinks he's going to win. He says he wins because he thinks he can win. That's a really mm-hmm. famous quote as well. There's a lot of treasure quotes like that in yeah. uh, Virgil's Aeneid and, and Horace's too. Yeah. I was reading the author the other day too about don't, you know, don't look back. Uh, don't go back to the memory of the past. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the metamorphosis in the metamorphosis when Orpheus charms the dead and charms Pluto and he can get anything and he finally gets to have Eurydice come back to the world of life as long as he doesn't look back. And he's almost there up into the daylight as he gets out of the underworld and then he looks back.
1: Why does he look back? Why do you think he's worried about
2: her? He doesn't know whether he hasn't heard from her, and he worries that she's tired or she's been in the underworld too long. I don't know, but in that Latin phrase by Virgil, it's you know, it's really. It's really pretty good.
1: And was was the implication that he should have just trusted his instinct yes. and kept looking forward and known she was there, right? She was supposed to be following to know.
2: him the, the myth has so many variations. It's hard to know whether he was, because he had just charm. He was, you know, with his lyre and he was such a, he was the founder of Greek music, supposedly. And it's hard to know whether he was too hubristic that he thought he could do what he needed to do or what he wanted right. to do, or whether he was... He was, um, I guess you'd call it too empathetic, but it's, um, very sad. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, uh, all of his metamorphosis is a great, you know, he's not a great poet like Virgil or uh, Horace, but man, there's some really good things in there. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, Horace has that really great line. I was thinking that, you know, he's talking about Laudor laudatoris temporis acti. Praisers of the time that has passed and says it basically um the latin that follows that is you know that we are worse than our grandparents that are worse than our grandparents generation was our parents who produced us who are even worse and we're going to bear more children worse still it's kind of depressing but when you think about it I was thinking about that line, too. I was reading a lot of Latin today just for the heck of it. And going back to passages that I really like. Yeah, it's like I was thinking of my grandparents family that she had 12 siblings. And then she had a family of three children. And my parents lost a child, but they had a family of three. And my son has a family of two but what I'm saying is there's so many people that had 10 and then six and then four and then zero. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And it's, yeah. it's, it's a sign of something. I don't want to judge people, but it's, um it's a sense that we're not spending time investing in a new generation or the country as a, a whole is where is more worried about partial birth abortion being legal in every single state than they are that we are, you know, we're not producing enough people to replace us. And yeah. I guess yeah, I was thinking about that all that I think he, I think it I was just thinking to correct myself. I don't know if it was you, but I think he was afraid that he was, he was going to lose her and he wanted, he just wanted to look one more time, you know, I mean, I kind of neurotic, Yes, because I know the word in Latin is metuens, a windy. He was afraid, and he was avid or longing to get a look, yeah. and then, uh, and so he turned. As soon as he turned around, she disappeared as a ghost into a yeah. ghost, you know, well, a carnal existence. Anyway, Since those are the mentioned- things I've been doing today. It's kind of <laughs> it's been a, a very strange weekend. So, but
1: well, those are some beautiful quotes from yeah, they're, Ovid they're- and uh, Virgil's and Menead, Virgil, yeah.
2: yeah, all of them. Yeah. those are my three favorite. Um, I-
1: Since you mentioned the past and the present and then the comparison, I want to just give a shout out to Kimberly Strassel, who in the Wall Street Journal just wrote an article on Biden, Carter, and I forget the last part. She did a great job of showing the comparison of the 1970s to now and so it ends up as she compares all everything about biden and carter with um she doesn't say it but there is this implicit optimism that perhaps and she does say we need a leader and a leader on the order of now, Ronald i think you could
2: retitle that article where is our reagan because she's arguing that carter came in supposedly to address the excesses of Nixon and Watergate and, yeah. and, all, and all that. And he fooled the American people by claiming that he was a Southern moderate. In fact, he outsources and told entire administration to hardcore leftists that created such a mess that out of nowhere, Reagan came. And so she yes. was saying, Biden came in saying that he was going to address the anger and the fury of all the psychodramas around Trump and COVID and the George and then he out just like Carter, he was lying and he outsourced it to the squad and the Obamas and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And then she kind of takes a pause because the natural next step is, well, Trump is the savior like Reagan. And she's basically saying, no, that you need Reagan. I don't know if it's a a subtle hint up to uh, for DeSantis or some other candidate. She's not critical of Trump at all. She's a very bright person. We're very lucky at the Bradley Foundation um, that she's our master of ceremonies each May for the Bradley Award. She does a wonderful job. She lives in Alaska, you know, and has children. And uh, her husband is a man of the earth. I mean, he's a practical guy he has a machine shop as well Has been very intelligent. So she's one of those people that the right is so lucky to have because she's so pragmatic. You know, Molly Hemingway is another person, Kimberly Strassel. That's one of the great strengths of the conservative movement. They've got a, really, a lot of really good. I've mentioned in the past, Christopher Caldwell, another talent. Yes. Those guys at Powerline, I'm a little prejudiced about. I, I'm fond of all three of them. John yes. and Scott and uh, Steve, they're very good. Yeah.
1: Well, since we are talking politics then and the what may or may not happen in 2024, how about we address the possibility of a third party? I see that in the um, in the papers and and magazines a lot, people talking about and the very fact that the polls show that neither side is um, excited about their for their front runners, Biden or Trump, that it sounds it seems to me there's a big opening for third party, whether it's on the right or the left. What were your thoughts on? Uh,
2: that? I must disagree with you, Sammy. There is never a big opening for a third party, no matter how much the poverty of the candidates. Uh, it's never worked. The greatest share that we've ever had was Ross Perot. And he, for a time, was leading in the polls, if you remember. And he uh, and he might have actually won had he not melted down and withdrawn from the race in 1992 He he stopped George Bush. There's no doubt about it. He destroyed George H.W. Bush's reelection. He only got about 43 percent had Ross Perot not run. And that's maybe one of the reasons he did run. He hated the Bushes and he wanted to destroy George H.W. Bush's reelection. And so he gave the election to Clinton because for all of the left wing distractions and dishonesty and disingenuousness, we know that most of the parole voters were more conservative than left wing, and they came from George H.W. Bush. So he got almost 20% of the vote. Yes. And he had, that's after he pulled out and came back in. Had he stayed in, he had Pat Cadell, Cadell, you remember working for a while before he melted down. He would have got, he might have won. I don't know, but that's the closest we've ever come to. And then he ran again, you remember, and I guess it was 96 and he, even then, When he was a spent force and people were sick of him, he almost got 10 Mm percent. And, you know, I don't want to disagree with you, but third party candidates can affect an election. There's no doubt about it.
1: Yes, that's what I was suggesting.
2: If you mean that Al Gore might have lost Florida uh, because of Ralph Nader uh, that who ran. Yeah. Yes, that yeah. that might be true. And so what we're looking at this cycle, I see there's a cartoon today and they have the debate. It says debate of 2024. And there's Donald Trump very heavy with a chain and a ball and chain tied to his foot. And he's in prison tripes on one podium. And there's a Biden in a, in a walker on the other. <laughs> that, that's I don't know what the answer is but there's if you explore the there's three possibilities of third uh, party candidates there's the no labels group these are kind of like the john remember john anderson he ran for a third party uh in 1980 um and he was mr uh i guess you would call him mitt romney republican but he was kind of liberal and he took votes uh i think he might have taken votes more from carter than he did reagan i don't know But he's the no labels is that kind of group. There was there was always that third way, you know, that we're going to have the social concerns of the left, but the fiscal uh, discipline of the right It never quite works. And that they're talking about Joe Manchin. But why would you want to vote for Joe Manchin when he's fluid and flexible and had a brief moment for being flirting with the Republicans while he always in the end went to the Democrats? And then they got so crazy that he knew he can't win. He can't win in West, West Virginia. He will not get reelected. There's mm-hmm. no way. They're tired of him. Of
1: but how about somebody like RFK Jr.? Okay, I mean, not that he would that, do it, yes, but what if he's well, he kind second. of he that's kind of second. bridges both sides of this? Yes, the,
2: that's the second. So you get away from a whole third party is what I'm saying, a no labels group that has a platform, not just a personality. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. Yes. Yeah. They're not built around a particular candidate yet. They're saying we have an alternative to DeSantis and Trump, and we'll find a candidate that reflects that difference. And that and people have mentioned Joe Manchin. Mm-hmm. And I guess the guy who's the Republican, uh, he ran for president, the Utah governor Huntsman. So those are the type people. Then there's a the second one. That's the in party rebel. And that's what uh, Eugene McCarthy destroyed LBJ. Uh, and when he did so well, he didn't, I don't think he won, but he he did very well in the New Hampshire primary and LBJ pulled out. And so you have two choices. You've got the hard and from both sides, kind of like John C. Fremont from the left and McClellan from the right challenging Lincoln in 1864. And so you've got Cornell West who, if he were to siphon off, I don't know, uh, there might be 30 million black, uh, oh, probably 25 possible black voters, 25 million. And if he were to siphon off in key states, three or four million black voters, he could really do some damage to Joe Biden or whoever the nominee is. I don't know. Why
1: would he want to do that? Do you think?
2: Why would there be
1: any motive for him to do that?
2: He wants to take the Democratic Party even further left. I don't know why he's running, because Joe Biden has outsourced his entire administration to the hard left. And this is the most left wing administration we've ever seen. If you look at the appointments, energy, race, you name it. And he's never going to see a president before a presidential candidate who says, I am going to pick my vice president by their her race and gender. And that's going to be a black woman. I don't care who it is. It's going to be a black. How could he find any person who would be so bold and so fixated on identity politics? But that's who Joe Biden was. But he's running against him is what I'm saying. Yes. And he's mad. He, he He's a very strange guy. I mean, if you think about it, Obama used to consult him when Obama was a nobody, you know, when Obama had failed as a House candidate. He was tinkering around with his book and he was kind of run for Senate. and He didn't think he had a chance. And then we remember that both his primary and general election opponent mysteriously had their divorce records leaked by the <laughs> Chicago Apparat on, in Obama's favor. And he kind of said, well, that, I don't know how that happened, but, you know, it kind of helped me, didn't it? Yeah, it did, but Barack. And uh, anyway, but before he became a, a, a person of, of repute, he would kind of. Can I get to talk to Cornell West, the famous Harvard philosopher, and Cornel West would kind of mentor him, so to speak, and then when Obama got really, really famous in Senate and he ran for president, and Cornell West said he doesn't take my calls anymore because Cornell West was crazy and he didn't want to be associated because he was feigning as if he was a moderate candidate and then remember that great Article at Cornell West that he basically showed up at the inauguration with his mother. They didn't even give him tickets to the inauguration of Obama. And he thought that his mere presence there would shock people. So they would give him tickets and they didn't. They wouldn't yeah. let him in. They couldn't get in.
1: Yeah, so that's so that's, sad.
2: He's got, yeah, it is sad. I mean, whatever you yeah. think of him, there's something called gratitude. Yeah. And Obama never had that in ample amount but anyway, i always look
1: so at cornell west and he reminds me of peter falk as Columbo. like he has this kind of slovenly exterior but something wicked smart is going yeah, on behind that
2: <laughs> came from an upper middle class family i think he grew up in sacramento as i remember but he wasn't yeah. um, he wasn't at all deprived economically socially culturally yeah. he was a, right. and he you know he's He's made a great career. I, Robbie George was a great guy. He's on our Bradley board. He debates with Cornell West. He's yeah. affable. He doesn't have a mean streak is what I'm saying. A guy like Ellie Mistal, the guy who always says, I don't like white people. I don't like to be around them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That guy, is a mean, he has a mean streak, but Cornell West doesn't really. And then, mm-hmm. so there's that left-wing challenge within it. And then you said there's the, I don't know if it's right wing, the libertarian challenge of Robert Kennedy. And that would be on things like don't trust the government on health policy, vaccines, probably Second Amendment. It's nobody's business to go in and try to violate the Second Amendment. Take your gun, maybe the border a little bit more. But uh definitely he would be reaching out to the old white working class lunch bucket crowd. At least he says he was. He does have a personal history that if he were to be a cons... A major third-party candidate, the left with tar and feather him about. Put it that way. Been yes. Married three times, and each time, uh, his fixations with other women have caused his divorce and caused misery and untold anger from his wife. And they had family. But I don't judge anybody. But what I'm trying to say is, the left will, yes. and they're already skinning him. So I don't mm-hmm. think either one of them going to make uh, unless they want to persist with Joe Biden. Yeah. And as I said before with Jack, that it's kind of a kabuki dance. Now, they're leaking on three fronts about him. I say that because we didn't hear any of this, because these bureaucracies that have documents about the Biden or columnists that usually support the Bidens or news agencies who report things or staffers who know things behind the scenes were told, if you leak, you're done. We're not Republicans. We have so we enforce Democratic Party lines in solidarity. And yet and yet in the last three weeks, we have heard on three fronts. Number one, that Joe Biden is callous and cruel, according to Marine Dowd and others, that he doesn't recognize the seventh grandchild. And, you know, we hear she didn't choose her parents. I talked about that the other night with Sean Hannity and Park. Good yeah. point. So but they never mentioned it before. So that's Mm -hmm. something that's new. The second is this corruption. People are really there was a poll today that said, uh, I think it's about 40 percent of the Democrats think that Joe Biden took bribes and that there's a lot of things. If you get Mr. Archer coming in, the, the associate who took the rap for Hunter and he testifies and he has documents that he was sending money to the Bidens and Joe in particular. And you have a oligarch supposedly who has two phone call tapes with Joe Biden and 15 with Hunter. And then you have more about Burisma and documents uh, from the IRS whistleblowers. This is all it just dwarfs this is what's so ironic. It just dwarfs yeah. the meager evidence of the four prosecutors who going after Trump on documents or overvaluing his real estate or making a phone call. This is really corruption. It's it's in the Constitution bribery. And so they're leaking it. is they're leaking about the granddaughter They're And now guess what? They're leaking about his senility. Uh, there's people on television that are on the left are saying, oh, my gosh, he he tripped again and he called Mr. Zelensky Vladimir and he thinks that we're fighting in Iraq. And this is and he, Prince Charles doesn't know where he's wandering around. I mean, he's he's Joe. Hey, over here, Joe. And he's at the beach and he those little lightweight two pound aluminum chairs. I mean, it's kind of hard in the sand, but he has trouble. So they're allowing that stuff to come out. And then we have this old Yeller article. It was kind of disingenuous. It was trying to show everybody. With a wink at a nod. Oh, you think Biden's senile and he's had it. But he's a mean SOB behind the scenes. He throws he uses Mm, F-bombs.
1: Yes. But yes, yes. that's
2: what you said. But really, between the lines you're telling us what a nut he is, that he just flies off the handle like, get off my grass. And so so your
1: suggestion is they're going to get him out and bring somebody else in.
2: Yes. No, no. No. They're not. They're doing this to right away abort his any idea that he's going to run for reelection
1: mm-hmm.
2: because they know he will not win and mm-hmm. he will not be able to govern. He'll be completely non mentis. But what they're doing is they're opening the field up and getting Gavin Newsom in there. And this gets rid of Kamala Harris because they're not going to dump Kamala Harris. Why would they? They're going to say, okay. look, Kamala, he, Joe can't do it. And you're welcome to run in the primary against Gavin or anybody else. We urge you to. No, wink, nod. She doesn't have a blank, blank chance. But we didn't push her out. It's just that the tenure. So what is the key to make this thing work? He's got to finish the next year and a half. And so notice what I'm saying. They are leaking evidence of really serious crimes, or at least allowing it to leak. But they're not ever, ever going to say, OK, Republicans, we should impeach him. And convicted. Of course, yes. Yes, because that's Kamala Harris. And notice there's they're leaking things about how he flies off the handle. He forgets. He trips. But not to the extent that anybody's going to to even consider the 25th Amendment as they did with Trump. In other words, they don't want him to be removed. So they're going to give. it's like giving just enough poison to destroy his reelection aspirations, but not enough poison to give you uh, Kamala Harris in the next year and a half. And that's once you get that narrative, everything makes sense.
1: Yes. Well, what about on the Republican side? What is there any incentive or is it more incentive to stay in with the party like Vivek Ramaswamy or Chris Christie and get a position in, you know, in the cabinet or something rather than run as a third party? Although I don't think Chris Christie would get a job. Ramaswamy might, but...
2: The big worry about the third party, there's only one worry, and it's a legitimate one. If there is a heated, nasty primary fight, let's say Trump, he hemorrhages some poll numbers and he decides to go into the debate stage of all those, I don't know what, 15 debates, and it gets nasty and he loses the nomination, There's a he could threaten to have a third party. That would be a little different.
1: That would be a human
2: suicide Mm -hmm. torpedo. So, yes, that that could happen. But for now, what does Nikki Haley want? What does Mike Pence want? What does Tim Scott want? What does Chris Christie want? Ramaswamy, what does he want? They're not going to win the nomination. They're there for one or two reasons. One reason is if Trump gets indicted, right, and he's he's not viable because he has gag orders or he's in jail. <laughs> Who knows what the left capable of. Mm-hmm. And DeSantis, nobody's seen him really debate on a national stage. But if he gets up there and he's Scott Walker Redux and he implodes, I don't think that's going to happen. But then I, you see what I mean? You have a safety yes. group of people. They'll say, I'm here. Put yes. me up here. And that's one thing. And then the second, as you as you alluded to, is. I'd like to be Secretary of State. I want to be Attorney General. I want, to, you know what I mean, Secretary yes. of Defense, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and that's that, so strong, those people would never go third party, right? No,
2: you wouldn't. Do, yeah. You wouldn't. The only person who has the ability to go third party and do damage is Donald J. Trump.
1: Uh, okay. All right. Victor, he let's go ahead. Either, oh.
2: But he would do damage.
1: Yeah. Let's go ahead then and take a break and come back and talk about the UK war in Ukraine. Stay with us and we'll be back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Welcome back. This is the Victor Davis Hanson show, and we haven't heard a lot about the Ukraine war on this show um, recently. I mean, we do talk about it all the time, but we really haven't heard a lot in the presses about this uh, spring offensive that the army in Ukraine has been engaged in. And so I was wondering if you could give us an update and some of the information on the spring offensive.
2: Yeah, you know, it's very funny. Uh, I went back. And I perused all the news accounts in March and April. In fact, I had, as I had mentioned, alluded to before, we had a big conference at the Hoover Institution on Ukraine in March. And I tried to assemble, you know, generals, former high officials in government, pundits, military officers, retired and serving, et cetera, people from Ukraine. And... Everything was talking about the spring offensive. It was coming, remember? Coming, 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 coming. Yes. And this is, and all of a sudden, it's silent. And what was weird about it was while we were talking about the spring, quote, offensive, those aerial photographs started to surface among, uh, you know, among the media. And you looked at this zigzag trenching. It was something like the Great Wall of China. I mean, it had reinforced tank traps. It had uh, concrete reinforcements. It had crossfire artillery plants. It was dug deep right in the way of the spring offensive. And then it was backed by air power and missiles and drones for air cover. Kind of like a maginot line. And everybody ridiculed it. <laughs> Look at the static defense. Don't they know anything about history? And I was watching this and I thought, don't you know anything about the Russian army? For the Russian army to win, they always have to almost lose. That's just, so Charles the Twelfth goes in and he's beaten Russia all the time and pitch battles. He goes in and he starts to win and he loses. And he ends up a captive basically or of the Ottomans for five years. And then you've got Napoleon. And of the seven or eight major battles that Napoleon fought, I think he could make the argument that he only really lost one. But his army of 600,000, 500,000 were casualties, right? Yes. He destroyed it. He burned Moscow. He took it. He burned it. That's why Hitler didn't think it was so important because Napoleon had taken it. But of course, Moscow in 1814 was not Moscow in 1941. And then. You have Hitler. And General Halder had that famous quote. He said, it's no exaggeration that one could say in the first 11 days, the war against Russia has been won. He said that he was chief of staff of OKW, you know, the, the over, over command of the Wehrmacht. And what happened? They killed three million Russians in June, July and August and early September. And they lost the war in December. Basically after that, they couldn't win. And so when you look at, same thing, you take Stalin up in the Mongolian Manchuria of 1939, and there's the Japanese army with veterans in the years of fighting in China. And it's, you know, it's there they're in China, and they start to batter Zhukov. He was a young, untried officer. And you know what? When it was all done and they recovered, they killed 75% of the Japanese. Mm,
1: and then
2: everybody says, wow. well, look at the Winter War. Yeah, look at it. November 1939, it was a terrible thing. They went, Mannerheim, they, they, they attacked the Finns. General Mannerheim was their leader, brilliant guy. And They went in there. Were they poorly led? Terribly led, the Russians. Did, were they badly supplied? Horribly supplied. Was there any good morale? No. Nobody wanted to go in there. And the geostrategic politics were just insane. They were a party to the... Molotov Ribbentrop Pact. So Germany was their nominal ally, and here they were fighting their allies' ally, Finland, over the border. And the Finns had white sheets on. They were expert skiers. They were some of the best marksmen in the world. They killed or wounded four hundred thousand Russians. And got what happened? They ground them down finally. The Russians did. And mannerheim had to accept kind of a you know, a forced negotiation. And when they went into Poland, people said, Hitler said, well, where are they? We were supposed to divide Poland up. And Stalin didn't even start till till September 17th when Hitler had almost overrun the entire western and central part of Poland, done the heavy lifting. And then even then he had problems for a while. So everybody says, well, the Russian army is bureaucratically burdened. Yes, it's inept, yes, but that doesn't mean it's going to lose. So when I heard all this and I looked at those the fortifications, I thought to myself, how are you going to break through those? You're going to bo- carpet bomb. That's what the cluster bombs are for, right? The reign of steel. We're yes. supposed to have given the F-16s. They're going to fly and evade SAM missiles and then just carpet a pathway through. And then like George Patton, the Ukrainians and their challenger and Abrams and french tanks leclerc or whatever they're called they're going to break through i don't think so
1: well haven't they mined the whole they those don't. two Absolutely. states that the they've taken over, over. Yeah. yeah
2: well the trench and the fortifications have not only have reinforced concrete tank barriers but they've got landmines everywhere and so yeah. my point is that Ukraine had 40 million people. It's got about 30 or 29 million now. It's lost a fourth of its population have left. We don't know how many people have been killed. Russia probably has 200,000, maybe casualties rather than fatalities. we don't know. But Ukraine might have half of that. And we're supposed to believe that after a year and a half of fighting, that once they get Western tanks and Western, they're gonna plow through that thing and go what what would they do when they plow through they're going to cause a mass panic and every russian's going to leave the trench and run back or
1: is isn't it, that uh, what the spring offensive was supposed to be supposed i mean I, be. I, I haven't heard anything in the news i don't yeah, want I to mention heard...
2: any names some of them are my colleagues i don't want to mention any names i don't want to mention any pundits but you know at our conference you know there were a few people there uh, david goldman was one of them, brilliant guy and he was very very skeptical of all the talk of you know the war is over in June because of yeah. the, the spring offensive. And it, it just didn't happen. So its I mean, it's happening, but it's not making much progress because it's Stalingrad, it's Verdun, it's Assam, it's trench warfare. And yes, trench warfare exists even in the postmodern age of drones and missiles and sophisticated computers. It's still with satellite communications and surveillance. It still can exist. And that's the problem. So to, to boil it down for the spring offensive to work, they're probably going to have to lose 20,000 soldiers. And mm-hmm. after a year and a half, maybe they'll, they'll be willing to do it. I just think that anybody who says that the Russian army is inept. Yes, it couldn't take Kiev. It always is inept when it goes into other people's country, right? Country. Yes. It doesn't mean it loses though. It's inept and it fights geometrically better, the closer it is to its homeland, if not on the border or inside Russia. And that's where it is now, pretty close to the border, not that far away. And they're fighting, they think, for mother Russia. And yes, as Putin goes in, that was a fantasy coup, whatever that was, and maybe he's dead now, who knows? And, And everybody says, well, the spring offensive will not only break through, but that's the end of Putin. That's the end of Putin. Crimea and the Donbass will be like dominoes that fall. It's going to be yeah. over. I've heard that so many times and yeah. I just don't believe it. I wish. I mean, I'm for it. I, I don't like Putin. I would like him to get out of Ukraine, completely go back to the 2013 borders. But that requires a cost and blood and treasure that I don't think the Ukrainians have the wherewithal to pay. Yeah.
1: I mean, you mentioned Stalingrad and Verdun; even those had ends. But you can see this going on even longer. Leningrad, even that came to an end, right? Um,
2: so it well, it, Leningrad started. Remember, and uh, I mean Stalingrad. When you say it had an end, Stalingrad, Paulus was basically trying to take Stalingrad in September of '42. And he was doing pretty well until, and they, they destroyed 90% of the city and they killed more people than they lost. But he surrendered in February of 43. So September, October, November, December, January, five yeah. months. And Leningrad five was and one nine. of the largest, almost a thousand days. Or, you know what I mean? Four years. Yeah. It was
1: two, it was four years. Yeah. It was yeah, okay.
2: almost four years. It started basically in, September of 1941 and it wasn't liberated till what, late 44? And a million people died, starved Mm -hmm. to death. And so it just went on and on. This thing can...
1: Go on and on. Somebody
2: should talk about how it's supposed to end. Is it supposed to... And usually it ends when one side gains an advantage on the battlefield and wants to negotiate from a position of strength and the other side is is depressed. But everybody kind of just forgets that there's a hundred, still 144 million Russians, and they still have a GDP 10 times that of Ukraine, and they have a territory 30 times of that, and they're de facto in alliance with China, and they have, they're not an enemy of India, and they have Iran, and, so, and they're selling oil all over the world. And so I know their economy's smaller than California, but California's economy's pretty big. So we always underestimate what they're capable of. And that's not said in terms of admiration nor in awe. It's just realism. That yeah. to defeat Russia inside Russia or on the borders means you're gonna get a lot of your people killed. Yeah. No way around.
1: So warning we don't yes. ever
2: get excited that the Russian army is in disarray. When you read all this stuff in the Atlantic Monthly or the New Yorker or the Intelligencer, or the New York Times. This or you read former officials of the Obama administration lecturing. The end is in sight. The walls are closing in on Putin. He may be dead already. Uh, we, our sources tell us there's no morale at all among the Russian. These conscripts, the Wagner group lost 40 million, that kind of stuff. And then, OK, you everything you said is true. Then they broke through, right? It's uh, what? It's no longer spring, is it? Spring ended in June 21st. And we're into the summer offensive now. And I don't think they've made much progress. I think so.
1: um, Go on to another. Are are you done? I'm sorry. Did you want to? I am done. Um, And. Yeah. Okay. So let's move then to another, um, international story. And I'm, I noticed that China was cracking down on dissidents and activists. They say that there are eight dissidents that living, are living in other countries, uh, that they've put up a $1 million reward for apprehension of them. And what's that? That's not surprising so much as the fact that Um, The article, which was in Real Clear Politics, said that the Western nations, which some of these activists are in, are allowing for them to be hunted down in their own nations. And that struck me as really bad. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, there's 300 anywhere, depending on the particular year, pre or post COVID, 330 to 370,000 Chinese students. There's thousands of Chinese business people and academics and media people in the United States. There's millions of them worldwide, and there's Silk Road, Belt and Road, the Silk Road, whatever you want to call it, projects. They're in Greece. They're in Italy. They're in the Netherlands. They're in Africa. They're in Latin America, South America, Asia, everywhere, right? And so China, that's a great strength of China. They're spies. They get gather intelligence, they coerce foreign governments to the degree they can, but there's also a downside in it. But the further they get away from China and the more they get out, sometimes they find that they have skills that would be remunerated pretty well in Europe or the United States. So if you're a medical student, a neurosurgeon, and you're studying at Johns Hopkins and Chinese government makes you report in and consult with them. And yet you see this liberal society where Chinese Americans make a lot of money. Maybe you would like to defect and maybe part of your defection would be you'd be interviewed by an American about how Chinese coerce their academics and their espionage, things like that. Mm -hmm. And so they're paranoid. So they even had, a you know, they had their own police in New York that were were allowed to arrest them. And we had the confusion. Confucius Inst- Institutes, which basically were fronts for Chinese spying. I, know, I keep saying and reminding people that Stanford had a faculty member from China, was a member of the not a spy, but a member of the People's Liberation Army with a
1: Why wouldn't these Chinese be every bit as much political refugees as people coming across the border, which is how they're allowing them to come in, that they have some sort of refugee status. But why wouldn't we protect these Chinese activists as well? Why would they allow for them to be hunted down in our country? Is this a t-ball question, Sammy? I I guess it is because they're doing it and I'm shocked. I I promise
2: I won't miss the ball that you placed on the t-ball. Okay. And the answer is, uh, if Iranians come over here or North Koreans, what are they going to do to us? Right. So an Iranian comes over and says, I get, that's a horrible government. It's terrible. They kill people. They stone homosexuals. They rape women in prison. And I want to become an American. I'm an academic. And they'll say, OK. They're not going to turn in the to the Iranians unless it's crazy Obama or Biden, maybe. But most people wouldn't. But that's not China. And you don't have Bill Gates and you don't have all these corporate people with these huge investments in China. Billions, billions trillions of dollars. And you don't have these investments and you don't. Iran may have some influence on John Kerry, but Obadar may have some influence, but they don't. Have the vice president at the time and his son flying to China, and they don't hear that they're getting ten million dollars from the Chinese, and mm-hmm. the Ch- and these other governments don't have Fang Fang sleeping with a member of the House Intelligence Committee, mm-hmm. and these other governments don't have a chauffeur reporting back to them for twenty years as he drives and hears the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Diane Feinstein, talk on her cell phone. That's why yeah, they're so yeah. embedded within our own system and they have the goods, whether it's bribery or they can blackmail people. That was what Fang Fang was doing. I mm-hmm. mean, look at Swalwell. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. They removed him. He didn't really put up that much of a fight. They all said, oh, that's terrible. He was removed from the house and tell it. But they didn't really. Because you can't, mm-hmm. they knew you can't have a member with a security clearance sleeping with a Chinese spy. Yeah, And I don't know why they let Diane Feinstein off. Don, mm-hmm. I guess she didn't know it, but they really just didn't even seem concerned. But there's so much money from China. When they can reach the president of the United States, how can you not think they're giving concessions? I mean, my God. They created a virus, gain of function, and it escaped and it killed a million Americans. And even to mention what I just said is still controversial. No, no, Victor, don't spread conspiracy theories. These were pangolins, remember that. There's a statement. <laughs> I know. They sent a balloon over alaska into the continental united states and it just hovered over our bases taking pictures and really well no it was it was, you couldn't shoot it down victor it was it would might collapse on somebody or it was out in montana who kills about cares about montana well there's missiles out there and they just went through they didn't do anything they hack they they get into all of our data private and public nobody says anything and they're, they're buzzing our planes in the South China Sea. They're trying to play chicken with our surface ships. And nobody says if that was in the other country. We, we almost sunk an Iranian ship under Trump that tried that. And so the reason is, is they're so wealthy and they compromise people in two ways. They either become too familiar with them and they have them on women or bribes, or they allow them to make so much money. That it would be insane. Michael Bloomberg was running for the Democratic nomination and he had $10 billion of investments for startup companies in China run by Chinese citizens, half of which had ties to the Communist Party and he was running. So that's why.
1: Yeah. Okay. They
2: don't touch, they don't touch China when it goes after its dissidents. That's why they don't have dissidents because China tells everybody, oh, you're going to go to Stanford for a year. Oh, you're going to be a visiting professor from Harvard. Remember one thing. If you get a nice apartment and you got a Beamer and you think you're going to have a capitalist lifestyle and you start to defect or you don't want to come back home or you don't want to work with us. Just remember what happens to people who are dissidents. They don't protect you. They will never protect you. They'll turn you over to us. They will leak to us because we have them over a barrel. Just remember that. That's a very powerful deterrent.
1: Yeah, that sure is. Well, with that, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and come back and talk a little bit about Joe Biden nibbling on children. And Geraldo uh, fired from the five, I believe. But stay with us and we'll be right back to discuss it. There's something magical about unboxing. We're back. And, Victor, so Joe Biden's diplomacy in, included a scene in Finland, I believe he was, where he was nuzzling up to a young child. And I was I guess wondering, that, yeah,
2: tur- turkey gobbling. <laughs> I mean, did you see his jaw going up and down? Yeah, like you a- know what? I used to, we used to, my grandfather had animals and I used to see a turkey guy and they would come up and bite your leg. That's what he was doing. And then he tried, and then he was kind of repulsed. She was repulsed, Bright girl with, you know, native instincts that were superb. She spotted this guy, even at a a very young age, this guy's weird. And then he tried to get closer with a second attack and blow at her. And so my point is that was an iconic jump the shark moment, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't think you I think at that point, everybody in the United States that this man can no longer be president. He's mm. creepy. He's a pervert. He's senile because presidents of the United States, when they are told again and again and again. And Joe Biden has apologized to women. Remember that mm. he was forced yeah. to in the primaries for. Touching them too long for having mouth to mouth kisses with strange women he'd met on the campaign to getting young girls, especially in blowing in their ear and their hair or calling them out. Oh, I was 30 and she was she was 15 or 12. You know, oh, that's a pretty girl over there. Are you stand up? That kind of stuff. And then when yeah. you see it and he's told not to do it and he can't stop himself, it was pretty embarrassing. And then you, yeah. this is juxtaposed to the trip where he's, he's fell again, even though the ship that he's getting on new entrance to Air Force One, the steps are shorter. Mm. He still falls. He's still bewildered about where he should be. So everybody's looking at this week and they said, you know, that's it. He's not going to run for it. And we're going to try to prop him up like, Just consider him some kind of inflatable president and they're pumping oxygen or air into him on a bicycle pump just so he can float around for another year and a half. But no more. Yeah, he did his job. They got rid of Trump by lying that he was old Joe Biden from Scranton, the moderate who was your kindly uncle when he was a creepy guy then. And he was even when he was a senile creepy person, he was never a nice guy. He was a mean SOB. Just go yeah. back and look at the tapes of the way he treated Clarence Thomas. Just go back what all when he would go out and talk about, you know, race and drugs. He can't he couldn't finish a sentence without it foaming at the mouth in some racist fashion. You know. Yes. The Kim article
1: Strassels article. article had these wonderful pictures of him and Jimmy Car- Carter nuzzled up together. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was mr carter's favorite senator that's and they, what you know said. Why? Because they were just alike <laughs> and they were phonies they were both pho- uh mr moderate who got in a hard left agenda that's what they were or they either mm-hmm. didn't believe anything it's hard to know which but this this was really bad
1: you uh, know what bothered scene. me about it was he, he did that weird thing on the baby's back but then he went to smell her hair Mm -hmm. and he does that with older women all the time and 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 it does that mean that he thinks the baby is like an older woman or older women are like are are like babies is what i think he's
2: sexualizing a young child that's what he's doing
1: you think so or he put it this way if you were a mother and you
2: had a young a young child and you knew what he has done would you allow your child to be anywhere near him
1: no i would i
2: wouldn't (laughs) no (laughs) No, I mean, is that
1: a T-ball question? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's so a Dr. So, Laura question. Joe Biden wants to take my young child. What do I do?
2: <laughs> Lock So So he, he can't. They know that. I mean, this is this. He can't stop himself. This is the equivalent of Hunter Biden's cocaine. Right. A guy who's addicted on cocaine thinks it's normal. So he looks at the world as everybody does this. So you, as I said to Jack, you leave a pipe in the car. Who Everybody does that. You lose your gun in the dumpster. Everybody does that. You lose a laptop with felonies on it. Everybody does that when they're high. Well, the same thing about Joe Biden. He is so addicted to getting some kind of perverse thrill out of getting close to young, pre premature women that, he thinks everybody does it, so he won't stop. There's no yeah. downside to it. Just like there's yeah. no downside to Hunter, he thinks he can always get away with it. It won't mm-hmm. stop until somebody says to him, you're a pervert. You understand that? And, and then he'll forget say, it promptly. I hope Robert Kennedy has a debate with him. I really do. Yeah. Maybe he'll yeah. say to him. Of course, they'll get some lines canned for a, a repartee to Kennedy, but... uh if Trump debates and Trump would say something like that. But it's 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 just really disturbing that President of the United States does that. Yeah. And, uh, it was a disaster for Biden. Yeah. And he loses his temper. You know, he yells out and says stupid things. Yeah. You know, Ukraine is whether you like. um uh, Zelensky or not, or whether you want them in NATO, when you're asked about that, you don't say like Ukraine's not ready yet. Well, maybe it's true, but you just shut the f up about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's this is so funny because his exuberance, his uh, excesses, really dwarf Trump. You can say Trump was perverted, or he was randy, or the access Hollywood, or his serial adultery, or Stormy, but you look at the exact time he was in the White House, he may have had off-color language, as every president. But you can't find a lot of people coming forward and saying he molested me. He blew in my ear or anything. He was the most watched, audited, uh, observed president in history. Mm. But and he knew the media was looking for him to sneeze and turn that into a felony. Joe Biden had the reverse. There was no deterrence because he felt they would always, you know, they would always, I don't know, they would say that contextualize any offense he gave. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do that anymore. I think that this this one was, you know, this was the Fonzie jumping the shark.
1: Yeah. They're head He's headed on the way out One way or the other Um uh, What about Geraldo I I find it interesting That Fox fired him And I find it interesting that I find Geraldo a sympathetic character Even though he had that show where he'd get people To fight on stage um, When he was young But he's, he's surprisingly sympathetic And he is their liberal voice And he does quite a good job At it and I'm any thoughts on why he was fired and what well, happened there? Well, he was
2: fired because he was on the five, which is the that's a huge audience with that time slot and that genre. And he was lucky. He's eighty years old, Sammy.
1: Yeah, I know. You never he looks, know. He, look, he looks yeah. like
2: he's sixty. He's had a lot of facial work. He's got his hair. He's a fanatic uh, health nut. He works out. He looks like he's he's been married a lot of times. He has young women. He looks like he's 60, but he's 80. Remember that. And so nobody cheats nature that long. So he, when you say, when I or you say he was fired or quit, he's 80. So his he had a great career as far as he's concerned. But he wanted, he got in fights with Greg Gutfeld all the time. Because Greg would, you know, call him on his left wing bladder. And then they'd go at it and. Peraldo has a habit of really going after the Jupiter. I've been on a, a, on him before, and he has a little technique that he says something, then you say something that you don't reply to him. You just give your review, And then when you're off the air and you're not going to come back on, but you're on the screen, he attacks you like a Parthian shot. You know what I mean? That bam. Yes. And you have no yeah. chance to reply. It's a, That's what he does. He's a... a cheap he's shot. A huge, yeah, he yeah. does. He is. Yeah. And so... Uh, Gutfield got bigger, much bigger than Geraldo. He didn't have to take it from him. So he crushed him. And Geraldo looked around. He thought, well, how about where's my, I'm Geraldo. I'm an institution. You're not going to let this upstart. And nobody sympathized with him. So he said, well, you know, they're all against me. So he went into Fox and, you know, he kept losing his temper and melting down. They'd suspend him for a couple of days. And after fine, you know, they just said, you're done. I'm done with you. So they fired him from the five. And then I guess he probably tried to leverage and they said, but you can go on your other little and your other appearances, which are scarcer and scarcer. And he said, I'm not going to do that. So he then he said, I quit. But he was really fired. Yeah, He quit from Fox when they offered him a milk bone after they took away his steak. That's what I'm saying. And then he made a big deal that he told Fox where to go. And then he went right on the view. It's not a good thing to do should never do that when you Mm. when you want something and somebody fires you and you go right out and attack them unless they've done something existentially wrong to you yeah even tucker when they fired tucker he didn't really go after fox no it's pretty careful i mean they may say he's violating the contract because he has an alternate media presence now but he didn't really go into attack the murdochs personally publicly
1: no no. He
2: took a bigger hit than Geraldo ever did.
1: Yeah.
2: But, you know, he, the funny thing was he said that he couldn't. And then the interview with The View, you heard he said he went after Tucker Carlson and said, I can never forgive him for his conspiracy talk on January 6th. And I thought, OK, let's see what Tucker said. Tucker said the following that. There wasn't really an insurrection. And notice the word insurrection doesn't appear anymore. The left doesn't use it very much. And that nobody, Tucker then said, too, nobody was killed violently unless they were Trump supporters. They were saying that five people were killed because they were counting suicides up to six months later. Remember that? Yes. They didn't die on January 6th. Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed military veteran, was shot and killed by officer bird for the misdemeanor of entering a broken window that was killed. And there was another person that may have been roughed up or not by police. We don't know the circumstances fully and that's what Tucker said. And then he said there were a lot of FBI informants all around there. And everybody got mad. Mr. Epps on four occasions said, "We got to go into the Capitol." You can see him on the air whispering to a per- in a person's ear as the guy then immediately goes and tries to attack the police barricade. And Do
1: we know that Mr. Epps was in fact an FBI informant? No, we For don't. Sure, know. we don't. We just, oh, know, okay. we
2: just know that Tucker said on the air. Here he played the clips where this guy has. We got to go into the Capitol. Yeah. We got to go on the cat on four different occasions. And then, yes. he, as I said, he whispers, and then he texts and says, I helped organize it. So how, why would he sue Tucker for libel when prima facie, he's the guy who gave Tucker the evidence by his own conduct. And now what happened? He was on the FBI's Most Wanted, and then he mysteriously disappeared, Sammy. We can't yeah. figure out why. And everybody in the January 6th committee said he was a a, a a respectable figure and now all of a sudden he's been what and he's been arrested for felonious behavior on january 6th that's not going to be a very good uh reason to sh- sue tucker carlson is it and that's no. what tucker said three and then four he said the fbi knew about it. and what do we know we have the pulitzer prize winning reporter for the new york times matthew rosenberg that got ambushed on James O'Keefe, Operation Veritas. Remember him? Yes. In the bar bragging to a young woman about, this was just a joke. All my people thought it was a melodrama. It was nothing. There was no danger. Heck, I looked around. There was more FBI informants I recognized than there were. Remember that? Yes. And so that's what Tucker said. Um, And then he showed clips. And I'm not saying that wasn't bad. You should never go into a Capitol or any government building that's closed. I would never do that. Never. I wouldn't. That, that's wrong to go into a government building that is not open. And it's wrong to even touch government property. But it's not an armed insurrection that requires 20,000 federal troops as if Jubal Early is attacking a capital and it's 1864. Come on. Mm-hmm. And then you had Mr. Buffalo Horns. Remember him? That, crazy, yes. that poor guy who's <laughs> obviously compromise cognitively and he you would have thought he was a ringleader but tucker showed the clips he's just walking around talking to
1: people and should the cops were or the security yeah. people were trying to help him with some yeah. of the doors and showing I know, places i know. should he have
2: done that no should <laughs> you know. he have been there no was he dressed outrageously yes was should he have told the policeman what can i do to help to stop this and we'll get everybody out? yes But was he a violent insurrectionist? No. There was not one person arrested with an active loaded firearm in that thing. That's what Tucker said, and Geraldo said he can't forgive him for saying that. You want to talk about conspiracy theories? You can go back to Tucker. I mean, you go back to Geraldo's. Remember Al Capone's vault? Yes. (laughs) We had to hear every night, the vault, 24 more (laughs) hours, and then you open it, and what is there, an old wine bottle or something? (laughs) <laughs> Geraldo was telling Americans, you know, basically they were going to open up. There's going to be a whole treasure chest of mafia gold or something. Yeah.
1: Well, he was an expert, a Dick, Dickensian expert at making cliffhangers for his audience.
2: Or uh, <laughs> when he went to Afghanistan, remember when he's there, <laughs> he's, he's there with his brother and he's drawing a map of U.S. deployments while they're filming it. <laughs> and they, they sent him home. Remember the U.S. military?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I
2: mean, for, right. him, for him to say that Tucker's a conspiracy. When yeah. Tucker had reason to point out about informants and the questionable behavior of Roy, Ray Epps and the one sided violence toward the, it's just beyond the pale.
1: Yeah. Well, Victor, we're at the end of our uh, episode. So thank you very much for all the wisdom and the discussion of the war in Ukraine in particular today. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you, everybody, for listening.
1: This is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off.